0: Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Will and Matthew, and the title of this episode is Revolutions Put the Fun in Funeral. Would you like to describe why we chose that title?
1: Basically, they're easy to talk about, fun to sort of idealize, but uh, revolutions require a lot of time, money, and sometimes even lives. So there's a little bit of a joke just to start, you know, that what's the difference between a diet revolution and a political revolution? At least with diets, we can tell who's honest. So, you know, again, revolutions are quite easy to talk about. They're inspiring. You know, it's a great thing to hear somebody say, we're starting a revolution, we're going to change the world for the better. Wh- who's against that? Uh, some revolutions are social, some are political. So you could say that a pro-life Pro-choice is a little bit more of a social revolution, even though it does involve legislation, but it's mostly social attitudes towards certain things that cause that. Political is actually changing out entire government styles, leadership, regimes. So whenever they get called for, people tend to jump on board. They're very excited. But the question that I've been kind of pondering is, have they become overused in America? You know, is starting something much easier than finishing it? So the question here is, what are revolutions good for?
0: Right. And so you were saying that you believe that revolutions are overused in America. So what are they good for if we call for a revolution every other day or every other couple years?
1: Right. And are they actually something that's good or is it just sort of an overused word that just kind of gets attached to things? Because we do have kind of an unusual relationship with revolution. Not many countries have one founding revolution and then are successful for a long time on the basis of just that revolution. You know, ours is the longest constitution to have stood in the world at any point in history. And so, you know, that kind of gives us a little bit of a baseline that revolutions are good. They work and they have lasting change, which is not really true the world over. We have the civil rights movement, women's suffrage. All of those were fairly successful when they started and ended. And the ones that failed here we view as like they should have failed. You know what I mean? So like the confederacy was a revolution in the minds of their members and that failed, you know, there was a Uh, Darwinism.
0: I mean, I just want to stop you there because confederacy is one of those things where they would say it failed. But if you go and travel to the Southern States, you'll see that there are a number of statues that are still up for decades. They were teaching confederacy, in their history as a success, regardless of who won or lost the war.
1: Right. But in terms of breaking away, in terms of what the goals of the Confederacy were, they did not succeed. And it is taught in most history books as the Confederacy lost the war. You know what I mean? And the majority of Americans do view the Confederacy as having been a bygone thing that lost and is over. It is true, as you're saying, that Confederate heritage and things like that, you know, you'll see But there was also the eugenics movement. So even though those were movements that were here and they were, most people would agree that they're bad, they end up kind of being counted in our win column. Like we defeated the bad revolutions with the counter revolutions against them. So you know what I mean? So we we tend to feel like revolutions here tend to be good. If they're for good causes, then they're good. And if they're for bad causes, then they lose. And so like we have this sort of like, odd relationship instead of a country that might have had 19, 20, 30 different revolutions all within like the same hundred or so years. And so for that country, a revolution is kind of like, oh, we're doing this again. You know what I mean? That that country might have a slightly different relationship. Even our marketing uses it. I was just going to
0: say, when you said revolution seems to be overused, really so much of what makes a revolution this day and age where you have social media and podcasts and YouTube videos is it's about marketing. So the BLM movement, Black Lives Matter, isn't just about if somebody believes that Black Lives Matter, it's about a lot of things that go around it. It's about the video footage that they get when there's a protest or a riot or the police come to shut them down. And it's those little snippets of videos or different politicians getting caught in a gaff that create the marketing material. And then suddenly you're able to say, this is a revolution, whether or not it meets the conditions of a revolution or if it's a flash in the pan, and it's going to be gone in the next day.
1: And I think that's why we kind of do need to define what do we mean when we say this is a revolution? I think that's something we have to bring meaning back to the word because there are so many... I mean, the Tea Party was a revolution, but I mean, how long is the Tea Party an effective thing in politics? Two to four years?
0: And we use words now that mean different words than they used to. I was given an idea of this earlier today where... My pastor used the word influencer and I just burst out laughing and of course, since everything's over zoom, it's not like there was anybody to hear me, but right. the concept being that somebody that's older than the age of like 30, not to say that 30 is some uniquely old age or anything like that. Cause it's not it's still very young, but the concept that anything older than that feels like they would consider an influencer to be somebody on TV, like flow, the flow, the, the girl that sells insurance is an influencer. Versus anybody under that age seems to immediately know that an influencer is somebody who gets people talking or promotes some type of view through good marketing material on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook. It's not about somebody on TV anymore. It's who gets into my hand and then gets into my brain and then successfully makes me an advocate both vocally or through serving or protesting to promote whatever that viewpoint is. That's a real influencer in 2020.
1: Right. And then, you know, I I think you're completely right about that. People use words across generations that mean completely different things. I mean, for those who are older, they would probably remember a lot of the communist revolutions, but you can tell just even now today, a lot of people that are under the age of we'll go with 30 still, they didn't really experience a world with a lot of revolutions. You know what I mean? They, like that wasn't the thing that they experienced. So even even their response to a lot of the revolution that happened, like when the Arab Spring occurred, the response to most people was, well, it's a revolution, so it must be good. Wow. You know, and not, and so a lot of the stuff that's happened as sometimes after that, like in Egypt, the Christians were actually doing fairly well under the dictator. They're not doing as well under the new Islamic regime because they're being attacked almost constantly. Shockingly, when you're persecuted, you don't do well. Right. So they, you know, for that, but a lot of people would say, well, there was a dictator, so you had to have the, the, you know, it's not a good thing for those Christians.
0: It's possible to have stability under a dictatorship. The problem is that the dictatorship only lasts as long as the dictator is in power.
1: Right. They were talking about the Ukrainian revolutions. You know, there was one back in the early 2000s where they showed up in Independence Square and they kicked that guy out. And he ran out of his mansion with a bunch of bags, boarded a helicopter, and nobody's seen him since. He's he's somewhere off having a good time. Probably found an island somewhere. Exactly. Argentina seems to be a popular destination for dictators. New Zealand, but, maybe? Yeah. You know, a lot of space, not many neighbors is always a good spot. But again, for a lot of people, they would when that occurred, they was like, Oh, that's good. He's a dictator, he's doing that, you know, he's there's corruption, there's it's party control. So people don't understand what actually had to go into that revolution because the police were used multiple times against the protesters Mm -hmm. and the protester response was not based on being violent back or escalating. They had a plan and an action that went into it. So I was thinking that, you know, we should maybe start by defining revolution and then we'll just kind of maybe think about what are some of the pitfalls that are kind of common today at least in my opinion or in your opinion, in revolutions.
0: Sure. So the Merriam-Webster definition for a revolution is set up as a sudden, radical, or complete change, a fundamental change in political organization, especially the overthrow or enunciation of one government or ruler, and the substitution of another by the governed, activity or movement designed to affect fundamental changes in the socioeconomic situation. I gotta say that third one is probably what most people mean when we say revolution today. It's such a tame meaning given that the first one was a sudden and radical or complete change. Right. Or the second was a fundamental change in political organization. So many people today would want to change our socioeconomic situation, but they don't wanna actually have a sudden, radical and complete change nor do they actually want a fundamental change in the political organization as we know it simply because they are very comfortable. A lot of people that we hear talking about politics are fairly comfortable and thus when they want that radical change, it's not exactly something that they would want to put a full foot behind. You know, a lot of power or money or their time or effort, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that because you definitely see a lot of people who they come out. and. They- I mean, just think about the Black Lives Matter, the black screens. Millions of people did that. Is that a continuing thing? You know, for a lot of those people, have they changed anything? And that's actually a lot of the frustration that a lot of the Black Lives Matter activists have had is that that's gone. That was ironic
0: because there was a huge thing coming out at that same time saying, hey, don't put hashtag BLM or Black Lives Matter because you're covering the hashtag page, which for those of you who are less technically inclined, That means that if you were to Google hashtag Black Lives Matter, you would be able to select a page on Instagram or Facebook or some other social website. When you click on that, it's supposed to load you all the posts that use that hashtag, but instead they were just getting a wall of black, which means you can't actually find any information related to the movement or things that are going on locally to you. So it essentially caused a situation where people who actually were looking for solid information couldn't get anything without scrolling back through thousands upon hundreds of thousands, at least tens of thousands of posts. It was ironic because they were trying to show support, but they were actually ruining what was a really strong social foothold on the internet.
1: Right. And that definitely caused an impact on just the organization and the way people viewed it because... People began to view the movement more as a virtue signaling of that rather than what was actually being put forward by the organization. That's why at the time you saw a lot of people going like, well, why don't you have a black screen or something like that? And then people started getting attacked over incorrectly doing their black screen. Well,
0: American politics, we do a lot of virtue signaling. I would say mostly liberals do, but I see it from the Republican and conservative side as well. Sometimes it's very easy to pull hype into a specific view and then have to throw support behind it before anything actually comes out. We've seen it several times in the last couple of years where some type of story hits the news, people feel the urge to pick sides even though the news hasn't even clarified with actual video footage what happened. All they have is a singular picture and a few sentences about what happened and all of a sudden you have people picking sides about something that we don't even know the full information. And so much of this would go away if we abstained as a culture from virtue signaling until we actually know enough information to decide what is right and what is wrong.
1: Right. And you definitely have on the right side, you've got your groipers, which you've got your alt-right guys, you have right-wing identitarians. It's a thing that happens where there's groups that do that. And a lot of them are saying they're revolutions. They're politically going to redefine and redesign the country in a certain way. I mean, Bernie Sanders, quite honestly, he said, we're going to have a political revolution, which the term political revolution kind of came out of Marxist theory. That's how we kind of understand it, where it's from, where basically the government and form is altered, but the way property relations are currently stated, they're kind of left intact. So, like the French revolutions in in 1830 and 1848, they're often cited as political revolutions, where the government changed, but kind of property and other things. So basically...
0: But property stayed the same.
1: Yeah, so social didn't do too much, but the political and form changed radically. He outlined this in his book. But I think regardless of anything, it doesn't matter who here, if you can be right-wing, left-wing, we've talked about BLM, we've talked about that. No, I mean, I missed who wrote the book. Oh, it was uh, Leon Trotsky. Yeah, he was one of the big Marxist theory generators. So there's Trotsky, then there's Stalin, there's Lenin. And these guys kind of were all seen as like sort of the big originators of communism on the national scale. So Trotsky is one of the most influential. So yeah, but I think regardless of who anybody is, whether you're capitalist, Marxist, you could be Republican, you can be Democrat, you don't have to be any, you could be independent. If you went all over the world, we would generally accept revolution as a valid way to write severe, consistent, and significant injustice affecting a population. The reason I say a population is, We would generally want it to be a significant group of people. It has to be something that is, you know, not first world problems or something like that. Like it's a significant injustice that affects a large group of people in a consistent and severe way. Mm -hmm. As a conservative, I would be fighting for, you know, greater gun rights and things like that. At the same time, I don't think I need to go pick up a gun, start a militia and overturn the United States federal government just because I can't have an AR-15 in Massachusetts. (laughs) You know what I mean? I would say that there's a valid way to fix that. And that's through the political apparatus we have now. I don't think that's so severe and significant of an injustice affecting the entire population of the United States where the federal government would need to just be dissolved, right? But there may be some people who think that. I know there's the groups that (laughs) think, you know, rocket launchers and helicopters are completely the way to go.
0: I mean, I wouldn't mind a helicopter. That would be nice. But I don't think I need missiles on it.
1: Right, yeah, maybe just uh, maybe like a nice squirt gun. You can just annoy the crap out of people. I have been known to consider
0: putting squirt guns that are automated on the front lawn to get people <laughs> off the the property if I if I wanted it that way.
1: Of course, that's you know, that's exactly the way to make sure no one ever comes near you. It's your those friendly those, turret uh, defense. <laughs> yeah, it's right. it's, uh, yeah, very friendly, and it scares dogs away too. And small oh, I, children. I, yeah. <laughs> so I think we've also. Generally, it's a covered thing on why you should go to revolution. And we've talked sort of about when is violence okay before in the past, we sort of talked about that. I
0: think where we start is everybody knows how to start a revolution, but nobody actually knows how to go through with one or to finish it in a way that there is good action on the other side. What we've been taught by history is somebody started it, things happened, and then we got to the end and there was lasting change. But nobody actually details what it would take to have a revolution and to be successful other than you have to be fooling, and you have to get lots of people to be in it with you. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. And that's why we ended up with right. this conversation of going into the conversation of the pitfalls of revolutions.
1: And yeah, that's a really good clarification. I think that's really what I've been trying to say, and thank you for saying it in a better way than I did. So I think for me, the big one is that your cause being just and righteous does not mean everyone will agree with you. If you decide to overthrow the government, the government's going to have something to say about that, right? These things are going to take time. You know, there are going to be people who resist. You can have flashpoints that drive conversation that, you know, obviously the George Floyd would be one. Michael Brown would be one. Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor. That's in the Black Lives Matter. Tea Party was the tax increases from the Obama administration. You had the moral majority in the 90s. That was the Republican response to a lot of just how Democrats were being perceived as, you know, not being moral for the country. So there are responses that happen that were against your ideas and movement. They're just going to happen. You're going to have resistance.
0: Yeah, my parents, they would describe this as a spectrum and a pendulum, that the pendulum swings between each side of the spectrum. And we see times where certain people are in power and certain people resist and then it flips and the other side is in power and the other side resists. And ultimately, it leads you to a more consistent future, but it doesn't mean it wasn't painful in that period of time.
1: Right. And, you know, I think right now you have a big culture war going on. You have a sort of decision about the future of the U.S. kind of going on between people, which is why you're seeing these flips back and forth between the parties so swiftly. Because people are going, okay, well, they have some good points. Okay, now that they're in power, these other guys, they do have some good points over here. Because I don't like those things that that guy did. And so it goes back and forth. Whereas actually for a long period in American history, there was a dominant power in a party. The Democrats were basically, you had the Great Depression. And they were basically the dominant political party into really the 80s. Like they were the dominant party you know, you had Republicans winning, but the Democrats were the dominant political party. You know, they were the working class guy, the union guy, that was them. But during the early part of the century leading up into the growing 20s, the Republican Party was one of the more powerful parties because they were the party that had gotten out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Right? It was usually there were like a general party rule that would happen over the country where there was a dominant party and then there was sort of the opposition party. So this this sort of like everybody votes Republican, then everybody goes Democrat. (laughs) You know, it was not really a thing that happened that often.
0: Yeah, I had a conversation earlier with someone this week where I said, we'd be better off if every single state was a swing state, because then you would have an actual power and an actual resistance where the person with the best ideas is the one who mandates what changes versus everybody goes with that one guy because he's on that one side every time. Kind of like Nancy Pelosi saying that, Anyone with a D next to their name could have won Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district. It's kind of like that, where in certain states, you have situations where no matter who you are, as long as you have an R or a D next to your name, you will win. That is very unhealthy for any state that is not a swing state, because you end up with the most toxic pieces of that one side that would otherwise, when worked out, by having some middle ground to choose between where the people in power know that they actually need to change based off of what their constituents think, because they might not be put in power the next two or four years if they don't go along with what their people want.
1: Right. And sort of an anecdotal story to illustrate these things is like, I remember that myself and another person were having a conversation right before Trump was elected. and I remember he found out that like Trump was one of my like top four there were like four guys that I was like, I could vote for these guys. And he found that out and he flipped out. And uh, he's he was like casage guy. He's a case. He flipped out. <laughs> and the funny thing is, so we were both Christians. We both go to church. We both know that you are supposed to speak to people of love. And he was asking me how the, whatever, can you support this guy?
0: <laughs> how right. And, dare going you? You?
1: Yeah, and I mean, he called me multiple names that you cannot say in any sort of any
0: public
1: forum yeah and the thing is i remember other people said this as well i didn't say that back to him i was just telling this is why i think this was but he continued to call me names and other people afterwards were like it was amazing because his whole point of calling you names was he was saying that you were supporting a guy who was rude
0: that's deeply ironic
1: rude about and that's why even though his point was that look I'm supporting a morally righteous person. It got completely lost because he spent the whole time being nowhere close to being the image of righteousness, mm-hmm. and that ruins your message. Absolutely. But so when you meet resistance, that doesn't mean that that's the time to just be like, "Oh, you don't agree with me? Well, how could you be so dumb, right?" If you start referring to everyone as a dummy, dum, dum, that person is going to start going, "Well, then my response is just screw you, <laughs> right?" Mm-hmm. My that's, that's going to be my response, thank you, we're done. And now you have no way to get the message across because your message is contained in that.
0: Well, there's a meme that pulls this together and it's a terrible meme. But what it says is, if I'm a racist for voting for Trump, then you're a pedophile for voting for Biden. And it's terrible because there's nothing out there that's going to say with 100% certainty that this person is that one thing, or this person is that and therefore you are this.
1: And now, obviously, you can view that in one way or another. You know, someone's going to be like, I don't support a pedophile. That's right wing slander. And then,
0: and then it goes the other way.
1: It goes the other way. And now your messages of why you like these candidates have just gotten completely lost in me screaming in all caps at you. And this is
0: why American politics are a complete dumpster fire. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a good it is a good time. It is entertaining, though, it says. It's um, unfortunate because it shouldn't be entertainment.
0: But this is why SNL hardly has to write their own content.
1: Oh yeah. The, the black jeopardy episode with uh, Tom Hanks playing the Republican voter. That was one of the funniest episodes (laughs) that was, and they did a good job with it too, where, you know, the whole episode, they were bringing them together and he had all the same answers as like these ghetto black people, which is the stereotype that they had up there. And it was like unbelievable. And then at the end they go in our final jeopardy category is what blank lives matter. (laughs) And the whole place stares at Tom Hanks and in the Republican. He goes, I got a lot to say about this. And they're like, I'm sure you do. You know, so, you know, so they had a good time making fun of that. But I think that also brings just sort of a second point that I was thinking of that any movement that doesn't bring people in are going to be kept out by those same people. Mm -hmm. I'm referenced the Ukrainian revolutionary that happened in 2014. When that happened, the whole goal of that movement was they brought people in, even though people would not necessarily have been part of that group. So when they started, it was just an original smaller group, but they were very welcoming and they made it fun for people to be there. Cause I was listening to a Ted talk on this and the the guy was saying that he was there. He was, he remembers going to that place and he was saying that place was fun. You could take your kids there. And it was like a good time. And so even though people were not necessarily supportive, they would go there, have a good time, they would be drawn in by it, and then they would support it. So then what happened is the second the police moved in and beat those people, that's when the populace suddenly turned around and went, whoa. And then the party that was supporting the dictator, suddenly went, ah, we like our heads too. You know. <laughs> so you want to have order and purpose in your movement. Emotion and passion is good, it you know, it it starts the the fire, right? That's the fire, but it has to be turned into a purpose because you can't maintain rage forever, it's just unhealthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't hate my job to the point that it gets me up in the morning to go to the job. That's not something that you know, I mean, you can't just be so angry at something or so and then just use that to drive you.
0: Well, this is where we have to take something uh, a page out of history where the women's suffrage movement, yes, it was fueled at first by anger but then it becomes, we have this central purpose. The purpose is for women today and in the future to be able to vote. And when you put that as your purpose, now you can go and protest in the streets, you can continue, you can tell any man or woman you walk up to and say, I'm for women's suffrage. Women should be allowed to vote. They do just as much work as any man, and someday they'll even be able to work and work jobs like other men can, or at that point, maybe they already were. And then the question becomes, okay, well, what is gonna stop this from becoming a greater issue? Well, is anybody really against having women have the right to vote? Yes, okay, well, does that mean that we should actually continue in that direction or should we give them the right to vote based off of X, Y, and Z factors? And then eventually you get to the purpose becoming the action. And when that becomes done and the action works its way through, you can have that celebration at the end and say, well, it stops here except if there are other women who don't have the right to vote at this time right which there i believe at that time that was still the case even though women's suffrage went through i believe black women didn't have the right to vote for a while after that am i incorrect right, because, there because
1: yeah the amendment allowing women to vote was before the um civil rights movement right so theoretically black women could vote black people that weren't stopped from voting completely they did vote however obviously poll taxes and they were under Jim Crow laws but that obviously wasn't the entire country so it depended
0: where you live and which state
1: yeah so it definitely was affected but it is true that they did not get it as universally as white females did and again when you have that order and purpose you have to be attractive cuz compare a lot of these movements with the occupy wall street movement that was a movement that a lot of people very angry they had a lot of emotion passion people were in the streets for
0: months i will say it is pretty amazing to look at the women's suffrage movement and see these women wearing long white dresses they didn't have to push a moral agenda with what they wanted to get their point across by all means they were wearing exactly what they needed to to get by with the morals of that day even if their personalities and the loudness that they would have had to push through what they needed to the people might be considered like, oh, you know, they're being too loud. They're women. They shouldn't be doing that. They were still being supportive of the morality of the day by what they wore, which is not something you see today. People push the limit with their bodies. There's a picture of a woman out in the streets of Seattle, completely naked, And there is nobody who's going to say that that's a morally okay thing unless you have a morality that you built off of your own direction in life. But most people would say that being naked in the street is not a morally positive thing.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. The more stuff that you have someone sign on to, the more they can not want to be part of it. Because if they're saying, well, look, if you want to join my movement, you actually have to support these 15 other things. So you can have somebody who wants to sign up and they'll say, I'm 4.1. This is a good point. I love it. I'm excited about it. I want to join you guys. And then the second you come in, it's like, well, if you don't support these other 15 things and you don't support 0.7, 8, 9, and 10, then that person might go, well, I, I can't sign on to those things because that's not something that I want to be in. Like, again, that Occupy Wall Street movement, if the place was just, there was trash, People were, going, people were using the street and the park as a restroom. It was becoming like a real issue where people were looking at it and going, I don't want to be a part of that, right? Whereas that was being contrasted at the same time to the Tea Party rallies that were having perfectly cleaning up after themselves. It was calm. They were there with a the message and then that message got through, whereas the Occupied Wall Street message got lost in, the noise that they were generating around it. And then when you start saying, look, come in here, you have to support that. Those people that you say, all right, if you don't support this and you're out, the people who are out are going to go, cool, you're out too. Once you start drawing those groups, and like you have to be in this group to be in here. You have to do this to be in here. And if you don't, too bad. This is how groups split. Right. This is how groups split and you create inherent conflict.
0: And when you create that conflict, you no longer have a united voice and people who left are able to say that group was supposed to be super loving. I thought I had a family with them and they understood what I was going through. Turns out they were a bunch of X, Y, and Zs, and I'm not willing to accept what they say.
1: So when you're doing that sort of thing and keeping things attractive, when you're keeping things as a thing that someone wants to join, you also have to remember that you need to keep the main thing, the main thing, your stated goals and missions need to be clearly outlined. And then you need to stick to them. It's very popular nowadays to tack things onto the movement, but you have to remember the more things you tack on, you can actually swallow your initial goal. When you have the black lives matter organization, it's what they're supporting has become kind of lost in the other stuff. That's being tacked onto it. Like Marxism, right? When a Black Lives Matter person says steal stuff from stores if you're black because that's reparations, and you know that's no big deal for those stores, you're going. So you're telling me I need to support theft in order to support reforming the police? You're going. Wait, wait, wait. wait you know, you're going. Well, hold on a second. And now what you can do is you can say, look, this seems to be a little much. And then when the person goes, then you're not in. Now you've created a group of people going. Okay, so all lives matter, right? You push people towards that other group.
0: If there's a spectrum between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, which there really isn't, most people who say All Lives Matter do believe that Black Lives Matter, but they don't believe in the movement of BLM, you end up with a situation where there's some video on Facebook of a target getting ransacked, and there's a white guy going in to go get his two Lego sets that cost hundreds of dollars that he's going to either resell or build himself. And it makes you think to yourself, Is this what BLM is about? And if that's what it is, then I don't want to actually be a part of it.
1: Right. And so look at how the NRA operates. The NRA has a very clearly defined set of goals. They have their slogans all set up and they stick to those. So there's a lot of people who attempt to blame the NRA for school shootings and things like that. It doesn't stick to the NRA because the NRA message doesn't have anything close to supporting school shootings. Of course not, right? And when a school shooting happens, the NRA comes out and says we condemn murder. Absolutely not, and right they don't come out there and go, "Well, look, I mean, we understand, but murderers need guns too."
0: They also don't straight up say that murderers need their two A, their Second Amendment rights.
1: So if somebody came out and we're talking about like, "Well, look, Second Amendment people do include people with homicidal tendencies." It would be very easy to go, well, it sounds like you don't care about school shooting. It sounds like you're supporting people in these school shootings. And then they went, well, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't mean that. Then it's easy to start sticking these other things on top of it.
0: And the NRA is one of those organizations where they know if they say something wrong too many times, they will be shut down. Mm-hmm. And they know that they're working on a very explosive issue in this country, that if they say something too far gone, there could be a quote revolution against them. And by revolution, I mean some like minimal thing that comes along where somebody says, you need to be shut down because you're promoting a situation where people will kill other people and you don't care.
1: Exactly. And then think about what happened when you had Rolf Northam from Virginia when he started talking about babies being born and then they would let the mother decide whether or not to actually keep it after an abortion attempt or their early delivery. That sounds a lot like support for infanticide. And then when that came out, a lot of pro-choice advocates, instead of going, yeah, that's not what we're talking about, went, well, you know, it still is the woman's choice. He's got a good point there. You know what I mean? When you start doing that, people start going, well, that sounds like you're okay with infanticide.
0: And some of them are. The worst part about the pro-choice movement is that a number of them would be willing to say that they know that it's a human. They know that the heart is beating and they know that the child feels pain, but they're also okay with abortion.
1: Right, so you had the Born Alive bill shot down in uh, the House and Senate. And when that happens, you have people going, whoa, that sounds like you guys are just no limits, no restrictions, nothing. And then people go, look, no, 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 no. Safe, legal, and rare.
0: And that's what most pro-choice women would say is that they don't want this to be birth control. They just don't want to have, and here's the best thing that they're for, they don't want coat hanger abortions which could cause the woman to also die
1: right but if you're wondering why the number of females in the pro-life movement has skyrocketed it's because they've been told well you have to before abortion up to the point of birth and maybe a little bit after and you have to be okay with the shout your abortions and if they're going well I don't like those three things I just thought that if a woman needed one like she should get one that that was me but because they said, you have to agree to all those other things.
0: And most conservative women, most, I would say, the real pro-choice, which is pro-life women, would say that they are for women having that choice. They just don't think it should really go past three months. Because at that point, if you didn't know that you were missing your period, you should have known.
1: Right. And I remember the pro-life movement had a huge argument over the rape and incest inclusions. That still is, that's you can still find dividing lines there. But the thing is, the pro-life movement, they're not kicking out people who are
0: in between some of of course things. not. Well, the thing is, that's where with pro-choice, like you just said, they say you need to be okay with all the way up with pro-life. They say you should be for giving your child life and they'll take it on the personal level and say that it's not about those other women. It's about you and about your relationship with your child. And even if you choose to have an abortion in your life, we will still welcome you back we want you to get the care that you need because that impacted you in such a profound way. And I think it's really hard because ultimately what we're looking for in humanity is openness. And I think the movements that create the most openness with what their movement and purpose is draw in the most people in a very engaging way.
1: Right. Cause any movement that starts, you're going to get like the coat hangers, like the hangers mm-hmm. on the, the hijackers, you know, Sean King is not the leader of Black Lives Matter. Right. But the fact that Black Lives Matter is not denouncing him saying we need to burn down churches is going to reflect poorly on them. You know what I mean? So you're also going to get enemies, attackers, and naysayers. You're going to get things from both sides. You're going to get people on your side who try to take your movement away from you. You're going to have people trying to just attack you because they don't agree or they want you to stop or whatever it is.
0: And that's why you have to be super clear about your purpose. You can't add lots of things because once you start adding additional things, anyone's free to say what BLM means to them is what BLM means, even though that's not the case. Somebody should be able to say back, no, this one statement is what BLM is and shut them down. That way it doesn't take on a new life of its own and suddenly become useless to the original meaning.
1: Oh, the perfect example is the Don Lemon Terry Crews interview where Terry Cruz said, look, I think that black lives matter includes all black lives. And so we should be concerned about that. And all of said, no, you can start some other movement for all black lives. This is just about police brutality, which is, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Right. Maybe that's true. But notice how you just told him like, well, you, then you can't be in this group.
0: What he should have said is that's a really noble cause, but it's not what this is about.
1: Right. But he also will then go on and talk about at other points in time that it does include all these other things. Unfortunately. So now people have to figure out, well, what is he actually for? It's easy to attack you. You can be castigated as a certain thing a lot easier. So your movement's going to become what you allow it to become.
0: All of a sudden, BLM includes universal mail-in voting as opposed to absentee ballot, which absolutely anyone could do, but requires that extra step of sending in a form to your specific voting agency in your area to have them send back a ballot that you fill out and then send back in because that's just too hard. And what gets under my skin about this is there are plenty of black people saying, we're not stupid. We know how to do absentee ballot. And I don't understand why we create this issue where we're like, yeah, People aren't smart enough to be able to do absentee ballot. So we have to send a ballot to every single house in America to make sure that they vote. I have never needed to dumb down something for my neighbor. And if they happen to be black, that's not going to cause me to go, wow, you must be dumb. Like that is not assumption that I make. But constantly we're told that from American politics that we need to just make this super easy even if there are downsides, because what if they won't go to the polls in November? And it just it gets under my skin so much because like, my neighbors are literally black and they're very intelligent. They own the biggest house on the street and we don't live in a super big area. They just happen to own a bigger house than I do.
1: <laughs> well, they could only be figuratively black if it was Rachel Dolezal. Ouch. But- Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, you know, you can move it all the way back to when we were going into Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, when that was happening, if you had any questions about going into those places, the anti-war movement, you know, stuff like that, they were saying, look, there are things happening to civilians in those places. We have to be careful about war crimes. And then the problem is a lot of the response back from some people was quite literally, well, they deserve it. It was like, oh, okay, they don't actually deserve that. But, you know, when people start responding to that, suddenly you start seeing people kind of back up. Then all of a sudden you get people going all the way back to, actually, this was not a good idea. Actually, maybe, you know, and you can have that war weariness that develops because some of the responses that come back. I mean, that's the thing going on right now with a lot of the mask mandates. The reason people are attacking the mask thing is because it's a flashpoint for issues that are going on behind it. When Michigan's governor says you can't travel to your own home, that you, your own lake house that you own. You cannot go there. When she's closing down parts of stores that include seeds because she doesn't deem them essential, when the governor of New York is saying this is what food is, you know. when they do that, people start going, hey, I don't... They start saying, wait a minute, I
0: can't go yeah. into Lowe's and buy a shovel. Are you serious?
1: Right. So what happens is they find the mask thing that has become a flashpoint. And honestly, the reason it's a flashpoint is because it was a Trump versus the media sort of thing, right? They atta- mm-hmm. Trump wasn't big into the mass. So it was easy to attack him on that. That's where that flashpoint comes from. So Even though the majority of Americans are wearing masks, even though it's not like a real big thing, it's the reason those things are popping up is because of the stuff going around it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's a constant cycle where if Trump says something or does something, the media has to counter it with something opposite. And it's the most ridiculous thing because ultimately it's like everyone's acting like a five-year-old.
1: Well, I mean, the, she he pardoned Susan B. Anthony and then people were writing stuff about how she was a racist. You know what I mean? It's just like, look, just good. You know what I mean? Like people were opposing a pardoning of Susan B. Anthony. Why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no reason to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I
1: will say this
0: is one of those situations where I'm very curious because if say Biden were to win the presidential election, I just have this moment in time where I think, wow, like all of these networks who were condemning the president and all these things that they, that they think or believe that Trump did, how many praise pieces are they going to put out for Biden and Harris for the next four years? And people are just going to pretend that everything was just wonderful and amazing, just like how... Trump was not the one who put children in cages, it was Obama, and there were just a small handful of reporters that were trying to give it a voice that there are children in cages and that there is a crisis down here, and they wouldn't have it because Obama was president. And it's just one of those things where it just gets you so fired up because you're just like, man, we could have solved this day one, not day one, in month one or month two. But instead, we waited until somebody else was in power to say that that is inhumane treatment of other human beings.
1: Right. I remember the amazing article that came out where they said that there were no scandals during the Obama administration. And
0: I I, it was an unbelievable statement. The, the, the And it's like they forgot how many things happened that you could literally Google the number. You can Google Obama and scandal and the same just Obama scandal. And you'll get one of those articles that say there were absolutely no scandals. And you'll get an article that was like, here are the few dozen scandals, one of which was when Obama was in office and Hillary was secretary of state and Benghazi happened. Multiple people died. And she said it was because of some video on YouTube
1: and they jailed the guy.
0: Right. And they have the audacity to say that there was absolutely no scandals over the Obama presidency. Uh, It's like that rainbow. Right. It's a rainbow moment where we're just like, there were no problems. And it's like, these are not the droids you are looking for to steal from Star Wars. Because you get to the end and you're like, wait a second, did we miss something here? And then you spend the next four years with the other power in charge saying, wait a second, cages. And then you look over and you go, wait, but it was him. But we trusted him. He was good. And then we flip and we go, oh, my goodness, he made mistakes. How horrifying.
1: Right. And I I think this is kind of key. I think the the last point I kind of want to bring up is that self-evaluation is critical. That you need to be asking yourself constant questions because there are going to be people who are coming after you and they have an agenda because they want to get you. I mean, the best version of this was that stupid reporter question. When they asked Trump, they said, do you feel any regret for all the lies that you've told Americans? Yeah, I might be paraphrasing that a little bit, but that, right. that was the general gist of it, which it's like, that's useless. What is he going to go? You know what? Now that you've asked me, you know what I mean? He's not, there's no point there, right? Right. That's literally just you sitting up there grandstanding. A few
0: days ago, Trump was asked like, hey, are you rattled by the fact that there was some person shoot on the front of your lawn in the White House? And he was just like, do I look rattled? And the answer is No. And they're just looking for him to have some sort of weakness and be like, yeah, it was really scary. And then they would have gone and reported and been like, oh, Trump was scared of somebody who was shooting someone on the front lawn.
1: Right. Uh, (gasps) Yeah. Right. So and the thing is, there's you know what's going to happen when Obama was in there? Fox News was asking those questions.
0: Exactly. There will always be someone to ask the opposite side. And there's also the irony with Fox News, too, because they like to say that they're not mainstream news. They are mainstream. They actually have the highest viewer count of any mainstream TV station.
1: Well, Tucker Carlson is the entirety of uh, primetime television at this point. (laughs) Right. So they will try to say
0: as often as they can that they're not mainstream, but they are mainstream. They're just mainstream of one side. And they're the only ones to be mainstream of that side.
1: Right. And uh, think about it. When Fox was first starting out, what was like the big Fox angle? They were a revolution in news media. Which if you think about it, It
0: is kind of revolutionary because up to that point, it would have just been small newspapers or very small YouTube. It depends when Fox News was started as far as I would say it was back then. It was just small newsstands that were able to promote a specific viewpoint that was not democratic or liberal.
1: Yeah, I mean, the media has typically in this country leaned left. It's not been a to have a large dominating ratings group that is conservative focus is a fairly new thing but again when you give bs answers and when you give bs questions and when you you need to know why you did whatever you did because anything that comes across as a dodge or anything like that like people will drill into you for that reason exactly so for example when dr fauci gets up there in front of jim jordan and jim jordan says can we vote in person you know what i mean can we go to church because he goes you've been saying that these protests are okay to go to, but then you're saying you can't go to church and you can't vote. And then all Fauci did was go, well, I'm a medical person, not a political person. Everyone in the room knows that that was a dodge. Absolutely. Now, Jordan should have gone after him by saying in your medical opinion, so he wouldn't have had that. But- Exactly. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going, I don't know which way to go. Why are the mask people going? They'll hear that and go, oh, that's what the mask guy's talking about. That's why he's not wearing a mask. That's why people are posting. Oh, I get it.
0: And then you have a lot of people there saying that an agenda is being pushed.
1: I mean, there are weddings and funerals that are being canceled across the country. People like brides who planned for years and don't have the ability to enjoy what they did. That's causing harm in people's relationships. That's causing them to miss out on important things in their life. And then everyone's saying, look, everyone is going to do this. And then you have these George Floyd and John Lewis funerals. And people are packed shoulder to shoulder.
0: And that's when people start saying, Your grandma didn't matter. Your wedding didn't matter.
1: Right. And so the question's coming why wasn't that 50% capacity? Why wasn't that socially distanced? And when the answer is, Well, he's important. And this is when you
0: also start getting the question or the statement in sarcasm that now we know that COVID 19 only affects people that are at in churches or Funerals of the unimportant people and weddings of the unimportant people because it obviously only affects people who are in close proximity at those specific instances rather than COVID-19 stays away from the protests out in the street where people are packed shoulder to shoulder literally holding arms with each other. Exactly, And there are pictures where people are like, oh, they're all wearing masks, are they? And they just circle every single person in the picture with like 200 people in it where like 30 percent or less are wearing masks. And then for the next three weeks, you're wondering when you're going to see an article that says, hey, the people that said that they were at a protest were more likely to get COVID-19 and they never come. And you think to yourself, oh, this must be because... The media is slightly biased, and they don't want to publish that information to us. So we have to assume that it's true or that it's at least questionable. And that's the best you can do in today's climate.
1: Right. I think the biggest thing about anything you do with anything, no matter what you're doing with revolutions, movements, groups, you need to be honest, and then you have to be committed to it. If you make a statement, for example, Hank Newsom, the BLM leader, and he, he said, we will burn down anyone opposing us. He said that on Fox News. And then the anchor was like, that's kind of violent. Just and a little. Like, we're not, yeah. And then he was just like, what are you talking about? Nobody's violent. You know what I mean? When you do that, people are going to go, you know. Then you like, don't really mean what you say. Right. Mean it. Mean what, you know, another one that happened recently, right? There were several celebrities who went in the Democratic National Convention and they were like, we're fighting for our lives. They are not fighting for their lives. Absolutely They are not. going to be just fine. If yeah. Donald Trump won the presidency, there is not going to be a mass slaughter of Hollywood
0: celebrities. On the third night of the DNC, Carrie Washington, who is a phenomenal actress, she's the main actress in Scandal, and she is amazing. And it was just really interesting to me because I'm watching her say that, like, vote like your lives depend on it. That was the quote of the night. Everybody kept saying it. And I'm just listening to these people and I'm like, anyone who's in Congress that says this is just morally bankrupt because they don't even pay for their own health care, let alone have concerns about their own personal security. They just want your vote. And then I listened to Kerry Washington, whom I respect as an actress, and I'm just like, you're rich. Why, what are you telling people to vote like they mean it, like their lives depend on it, when you don't live in the hood? You don't know what a, quote, black person lives like because you don't live there. And and it's really interesting to me because she as an actress played a character that didn't come from the hood. She came from a family that sent her to the best schools in the world, who taught her to be powerful, who taught her to work twice as hard as any man to get half as much. And then she comes out and says these things that are the complete opposite because that is what she is being told or what she feels she needs to push in order for her politics to be made known to the world. And it just makes me sad because it's just not genuine. And if she believes it, then it's just not real. And she doesn't actually know what it's like to be a part of the working class. Yes, she works, but she's working in an entirely different echelon. She's working in the top tier with the most expensive people who have the highest billing rate in the entire country.
1: Right. And, you know, we're talking about mail-in voting. We're talking about stuff like that. When people get up there and they go, there's no evidence of fraud. There's been multiple. There was actually a Republican who almost stole a seat in North Carolina. I believe it was North Carolina. And, like, they got caught. And it's like, well. And that should be condemned. Right. But they're just like, yep, there's no, I can't even think of an example.
0: So what's funny about that when you say that is it's a Republican candidate. The left-leaning media should be the most upfront about a situation like that, but because it's against the narrative that they have, they are unwilling to condemn somebody on the right for doing the exact same thing that the right is now saying is possible for the left to do.
1: Right, and so what ends up happening is, is you've now just created your movement is, all right, if you want to be a left winger, you have to think that these things are true or these things are not true. So you can't be a left winger and go, look, there is vote fraud. I mean, look, I, you know, you're hey, suddenly I, stuck.
0: You have right, to say it, what you mean. You have to believe it, even if there's nothing to say that it's true.
1: Right. Yeah. And so, again, you have to be honest. If the left wing came out and said, look, there is voter fraud, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so we should have people have the ability to mail their ballots in. We should take this differently. This is when they should be saying that
0: the electoral college exists for a reason. And if there is going to be some minimal amount of fraud. At least we have the Electoral College to make sure that it is mandated that it doesn't take over the entire election because it would be very difficult to do so. But this would require them to actually have a twist on their words because all of a sudden they'd have to admit that the Electoral College is necessary.
1: Very few people complain about things when they win at them. It's (laughs) right. So again, there was another uh, candidate for office, I believe it was a mayor candidate, and they Pretended to film themselves getting kidnapped, try and get the sympathy vote. You know what I mean? That's kind of like, look, you got to be honest and be committed to your stuff. And if it falls down flat, then you got to reevaluate yourself. That's why that self-evaluation is so critical.
0: That sounds almost as bad as Warren releasing information about how she's like one percent from a Indian tribe.
1: Yeah, one in one thousand and sixty fourth. Yeah, whatever. It, but whatever. Who's counting? Exactly. So I think you know we've sort of talked about some pitfalls, and so I think just going forward in terms of what works for America is kind of the question that I would have because we've talked about the stuff that's bad, we've ragged on all of our favorite whipping posts. Um, <laughs> so I guess the question just to kind of pose to you is what works for America? What works for America? That's so difficult. That's such a yeah. Just to be you know to be specific, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I think that we as a country need to get on board with social injustice isn't going to go away if Biden and Harris become president. And my issue there is people are pretending like something is going to change just because you elect a president who is, quote, left-leaning. And meanwhile, he's in politics for almost 50 years. And Harris herself was a supporter of the police by her actual position and so you run into the situation where nobody's actually going to be happy if those two people are elected but it's not going to create a situation where we're going to run into justice reform we're just going to push it off for another four years so what we need is for a situation with BLM to say that we need police reform and we need it now and we need it across the entire country. And they can't include all these other BS things that aren't related to improving Black lives. And from that perspective, there are lots of revolutions that could work in this country, but we need to be very direct in what the message is so that it doesn't get lost. Because too many people are saying that a movement belongs to everyone and it doesn't have to, but you need to be as inclusive as possible of what people think and then say that this one tenant is what we are going for and we need this first. And then if other things come off of it, they can start, but we need this first because this is becoming an issue that involves so many people. So many people are going to jail for things that are not as big of a deal as they should be. So many people are dying because somebody pulled the trigger without thinking, without recognizing that it's going to be a volatile situation and you're going to have to decide what to do in that moment in a difficult situation. And so I would say that in America, we need to provide a place for people to say, we need a revolution for this. And here is our one tenant. This is the one thing we are going to get. And then when we succeed, it will be done and all we need to do is continue it and make sure it is not removed because we have other situations in this country like the LGBTQ plus community where there is no central thing for what they want. It's almost like the rainbow of which they have as their logo. It's everything or nothing. But we want everything and we want more. And the same thing happens with the BLM movement where we want everything and we want more. But if you were to talk to most people who are black, they're not going to say we want special treatment. They're going to say we want equal treatment. And so just to summarize, we need one central tenant per movement. And that needs to be one of those situations where if there is a movement and somebody says, oh, BLM, it's about police being changed to promote more equality with how they deal with situations and to deal with more situations less violently. If that became the central tenet, more people would be able to say, I support Black Lives Matter, but I do not support BLM, the group that supports many other things. And if you had that, you would have a ton more liberal people talking to conservative people and saying, "Oh." we agree. We agree on this one central tenet. And that means that you're my brother. You're my sister. I understand where you're coming from. And we agree. It doesn't mean we have to believe everything everybody says, but on this, we can be friends. We can understand that this is where we agree. And that's a beautiful thing. It's where we find that middle ground.
1: Right. And I think he sort of touched on a little bit that the problem has sort of become that movements are so frivolous and they're so extreme. There's a means and ends, and it's only those means and ends or nothing, right? Somebody might want to have the same outcome as you, but they could say like, look, I think if we do it this way, it'll achieve the same thing, but prevent this other way. You know what I mean? Like people won't allow 80% of what they want. You have to have 100% or you're the enemy, you know, and we're just not pursuing that. We're really just becoming so polarized in just even the individual movements That even just on the same, like people who agree with us on everything that will be like, well, we can't have you because you didn't agree with this one thing. I mean, feminists and the trans community are literally fighting each other right now over who's more oppressed. You know what I mean? Like you have that because it's like, well, we can't have feminists here because they say that women are women and that we can't have that. You know what I mean? Because you didn't agree on the women's sports issue. Your group is gone we tend to have this view that the intention of the movement is the result, right? Where we want to make this thing better. And because we want to make this thing better, that is a complete justification for anything we need to do to get that. And until we achieve the results of better, until our intentions are fulfilled, then we are going to be pursuing that. And so because we have good intentions, the result of our good intentions, that means our entire movement and everything included with it is good it's a moral thing it's a right thing it's a just thing intentions are not results and results are not morals right your good intentions do not mean that the results that come from your movement or your idea are good it does not mean that everything you do to get there is a good thing and having good results does not mean that they're a moral result it doesn't translate Right. These things do not just translate across. There's an argument that uh, completely free and unrestricted abortion lowers the uh, amount of abortions happening. A lot of people say, so we should just, it, abortion should just be free on demand, and that would mean it would go down. But it's like, that doesn't address any moral questions whatsoever.
0: It just says that if you have open freedom to do whatever you want, then it'll answer the problem.
1: Right. You know, hey, we should just have. Stop, question, and frisk in every city at any time. The officers can do it in any way because, hey, it does drop the amount of shootings. So that's good results.
0: Even though it supports the potential for police brutality in every
1: exactly. area. Because you're, when you start just saying, well, look, my intention is lower crime, less shootings. My result is that it did happen. So therefore, it's good. It does. There's more to each one of these three things than rather just, look, I had good intentions. Uh, the results happen. So therefore, we're done. It's a good, good job, everybody. <laughs>
0: Right. The same thing could be said that if we banned all guns and literally went and stole every single gun from every criminal and every law abiding citizen, that suddenly nobody would be murdered and there would be no school shootings. And you might accomplish there being no school shootings, but then there would be school stabbings and there would be more burglaries, violent burglaries.
1: And why can't we then use that policy for anything else? Right. Why couldn't we then say, hey, look, homophobia is wrong. So we're going to imprison homophobic individuals. We're going to come to your house, take you out of your house and put you in prison for a homophobic comment. You tweeted, we are going to take you. Right. You know what I mean? Because, hey, look, homophobia is killing people, right? It's uh, transphobia is killing people. That's an argument that's made. So that, That's
0: why the suicide rate is so high.
1: Exactly. Like, let's go take care of that. We are saving lives by doing this.
0: Right. right. And then you run into the situation where people say, if it just saves one life, then we have to do it, which is a terrible way to make a single decision, by the way.
1: Right. Or you have a more current concrete example. There was a house in California that was apparently it was a TikTok house. I didn't know these things existed, but they do. That was having parties and that obviously broke the state's rules on <sighs> quarantine. So they shut off utilities to that place, which is insane. But imagine if they just shut off utilities to all the churches. Oh, right. If, imagine if they just, well, you disagree with the government so we can shut off your power. Like, imagine if that became a thing, like, you know, you can see where these things start to go. But hey, look, the the intentions are good, right? The intentions are we're saving people from coronavirus and you're hoping for the result is that those parties have stopped.
0: Well, this is how you run into the same situation where California says that people in churches are not allowed to sing, even if they're wearing masks versus on the East Coast. We've been saying for decades that it's so wonderful we live in a country where we're not oppressed for our beliefs. And then you look to the other side and you're just thinking, oh my, they're literally being oppressed for what they want to do with their time and with who they want to do it in. Even if they're socially distanced and wearing masks, they're being told they can't do these things. That's fairly close to oppression, even if it doesn't come to the point of people coming in and hauling them off to jail.
1: Right. And I think, you know, that's why we just have to realize that when you're in the middle of these movements, when you're fighting for change, when you're fighting for these things, you have to sort of remember that when you're having a good time, when you're in the struggle, when you're out in the street, those choices that you make are going to affect your perception, your results, your movement. You can give the power away in your movement just as easily as you take power movement. So we have to be more considerate of what actually is going on in our movements, what we're standing for, and why we're doing it. Like, what's the end goal? How are we starting this? You know, Who are we going to allow in here? Where's the line? Those things have to be addressed.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely something we need to address better in this country. And I think the main point that we're coming out of this is that people need to have conversations with other people about these types of revolutions that we see and try to find middle ground on a central tenet or two that is supposed to be the central tenet that they can agree on regardless of where they come from. Because this is a country built on people having discussions and disagreements and finding that middle ground.
1: Right. I mean, the the people in America still have power. That's a very true statement. The government does not control all things. Exactly. I think just the thing to leave everybody with would be do you agree with that statement that intentions are not results and results are not morals? Yeah. That would be something I think just to leave to everybody to move forward from here when you encounter all the revolutions and movements and changes and social programs and influencers that are out there. Maybe that's something to think about when you're sort of approaching hey, should I get on board with this? Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at blue Conversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow.